0: Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after.
1: Hello and welcome to The Last Word. I'm Cam, one of the Crosstalk interns, and I'm joined this morning by Johnny. Hello there. My co-intern. And then we have also got JD on the podcast. Good to be here this morning. Our amazing Crosstalk pastor. And guys, I really am loving the series we're doing on Exodus. I think it's so cool to learn about God's character and have knowledge of the holy, as we've been calling it. And Mm -hmm. we talked about the context of kind of Exodus 34, 6 through 7 from the previous week of Crosstalk. And so, J.D., I want you to kind of speak to everybody on why it's so important to learn about the context of biblical passages in general, but also specifically when talking about Exodus 34, 6 through 7, such a significant passage.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, one of the things that we like— have to say as kind of a basic assumption is that context is critically important when we approach the biblical text. Because Mm -hmm. what can happen so often is our own human tendency to take something out of context. And at that point, it means whatever we say it means. And so the context kind of gives us the guardrails for interpretation is the way that I've always explained that. Because it there are plenty of good interpretations of a biblical passage, but the context tells us kind of where the boundaries are before mm-hmm. we get outside of what is the text actually trying to teach us. What is it trying to tell us without yeah. just superimposing our own meaning upon it? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. And so what's really important then about this context here in the book of Exodus is we really see at this point, Exodus 34, 6, and 7, this God talking about his own character is a commentary on his behavior throughout this entire story in the book of Exodus, and particularly the story of Israel and the golden calf. And Mm so that story reveals what kind of God God is. And it shows the character qualities that we see at work in that story, that God is um, just Mm -hmm. and he is just towards the guilty, but he also has this overflowing compassion and love for his people. And so we see that come to life in The context. And so that kind of gives us, we we understand then the guardrails for our interpretation. And then we see how this passage speaks into that. And so I think that that's the cool part about context is it sets the parameters. And then we see how God fits inside of those parameters. And really, Exodus 34, six and seven is a commentary on all of his actions uh, towards the nation of Israel.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: I like that you
2: said guardrails because it makes me think of in bowling when you have those guardrails (laughs) up. yeah. And you're like, if I have those guardrails in the context, then I will hit a pin. Mm -hmm. And what that makes me think of is also a context. It allows you to take verses that you might initially just skip by. Mm -hmm. And you actually get to see like, hey, the Bible is so meaningful and life-changing to everyone Maybe this verse that I thought was pointless, like Mm -hmm. has some profound meaning. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think some context really gives like… If you look at, you know, Matthew 1 starts out, you know, with that genealogy. And originally I was like, all right, let's skip through the names. But (laughs) after reading the whole entire Old Testament and then reading, you know, the genealogy… I like got chills and I was so moved and teared up, like reading like, oh, Mm -hmm. I read through all these people. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. And so I think it also gives lots of verses meaning Mm -hmm. uh, in your life that might not have before.
1: Yeah, that's that's so true. Thinking about how everything that's in— the scripture and everything that the holy spirit has preserved is for a reason and all of it has purpose. I was listening actually to a podcast recently and um somebody was saying how um somebody they were discipled by they moved in with them and they the woman made her go through John and she had to pick every sentence and like write down something significant from it and it wow. took her like 6 months oh but she was gosh. trying to teach her to take in the scriptures and to read the context of it and like really ask God like what are you trying mm-hmm. to teach me in everything that you've preserved and written down. Yeah. But um at Cross Talk on Thursday we also talked about how we as humans and as the Israelites like um lived, they tried to put God into this uh, box of predictability and something that they found was comfortable and that Mm -hmm. they could kind of get whatever was convenient for them. And so my question is, how do our lives really change when we stop putting God into this box of comfortability and actually start following what he's commanded us to do?
0: That is a really good question. I think that is really a lifelong discipleship question because our (laughs) basic broken human desire is to put God in a box. And so our discipleship is then learning to perpetually surrender ourselves to a God that we cannot control. I like to uh, sometimes conceptualize this as a genie in a bottle, Mm -hmm. right? That we put God in this little box where when I need something, when something goes wrong in my life, when I don't know what to do, I rub The little lamp, the genie pops out, and I tell God how I want him to act in my own life, right? Essentially, at that point, I have a God of my own making. Mm -hmm. And when we say yes to Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, it is this process of giving more and more of ourselves over to him. And so throughout, so throughout the process of our life, we are giving more of what we know to ourselves to God. And Mm -hmm. as we do that, we put God into a, into less of a box. We become more comfortable with the fact that God's ways are higher than our ways, that we do not have the ability to comprehend a God who is holy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. is perfect. And we are not because, uh, We actually talk about this with crosstalk sometimes that, uh, like, most of the time, a person who comes to crosstalk on Thursday sees like 10% of the picture. Mm -hmm. They see, like, what happens when we put on an event, or they see what happens when we go to a community group. When you become a community group, you get a little bit more of that picture. You kind of are let behind the curtain so that you're seeing a little bit of the inner workings of it. And then you become an intern and then you see even more of what that looks like. And the reality is only those who are uh, like myself and Paulina for so long, those of us who are coordinating all of Crosstalk see the entire picture. Mm-hmm. It's the same way in a relationship with God. The more that we like realize that God is perfect and holy, and I can't understand him, the more we realize that we don't have the full picture and it places us in a position of trust and dependence upon God. I really like, it was Tim Mackey who um, had this statement that they didn't have a category for a God that they needed to trust, that the Israelites didn't have a category for God that they needed to trust. And that is ultimately the lifelong process of discipleship is trusting God. The more we trust him, the less we put him in a box.
1: Mm. Yeah. Wow.
0: Not sure how much more to pull out of that, but (laughs) I would just say I agree
2: with that. Um, And the thought process I had was that it helps us from not being a stagnant Christian that like, hey, they accepted Jesus, but we still see that they're full of hate and anger and You know, they can't control their emotions. It's like, it's kind of like that book that we were reading, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is you're allowing no Mm -hmm. room for growth if Mm -hmm. you're still trying to control God um, because you're like, I accept him, but I'm scared of how powerful he is and I'm scared of change, which it does make sense why we are scared of those things. Mm -hmm. But it is whenever, how you were saying, we surrender and we have those open hands, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that we can then see God really change and work miracles in our lives.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really crazy how quickly we can try to create a God in our own image, (laughs) you know, rather than like everything we had just talked about. (laughs) With Genesis. Um, And so, my last question this morning is um, also at Crosstalk on Thursday, JD, you mentioned how Jesus has come and he is meant to be seen as a new and a better Moses and a messianic savior. But how are this Jesus and Moses, how are they similar in the ways that Jesus is the new Moses, but also how are they drastically different? And what are the contrasts?
0: Yeah, that is uh, that is a very, very good question. Um, what we see, if we go to Exodus, it's gonna be 33, 32, 33, is that Moses has these acts, five acts of intercession on behalf of the Israelite people. And these acts of intercession are are Moses pleading on behalf of the Israelites that God would not destroy them, even to the point that Moses offers his life in place of the people of Israel. And what we see is Moses is this messianic savior figure who will offer his life as this act of intercession for the guilty. Mm -hmm. And what we see in Jesus is this exact figure, this messianic savior who offers his life willingly on behalf of the guilty, which is you and me and all of humanity. The crazy part about that is that Jesus is a better Moses. He was, Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land because of his own sin and disobedience to God. What we see is that Jesus humbles himself Fully God and fully man humbles himself Mm -hmm. to the point of taking on human flesh and willingly submitting himself to the will of the Father, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately to give his life. And so you see that he is something that Moses could never be. As a sinful and broken human being that Moses is, Jesus does what no human being ever could, which is to live this perfect life, to submit fully to the will of the Father and ultimately to offer his life as this act of intercession on our behalf. And mm-hmm. so he is meant to be seen as, Jesus is meant to be seen as this figure who is like Moses. Mm-hmm. But as we read the gospels, we see that he is a figure who is wholly better mm-hmm. and more than Moses ever could be. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Moses, Noah, David, Adam, all of them are just Walmart versions of Walmart Jesus. Versions. That That's a good way to put it. They're all just not good enough in their different uh, ways. And I think the specific way for Moses is, as J.D. said, that Moses was given the law. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't keep it, you know, as you see that he wasn't even able to go into the promised land. And Jesus is the only one to ever exist to follow the entire law. And in doing so, um, he paid mm-hmm. the ultimate price that he didn't deserve, but rather we did by not following the law for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. That's all I got to add on.
1: Yeah, um, with what you said earlier, when I started reading the Old Testament also, it was really, really awesome and amazing to just have my eyes opened because I think when I was younger, I hadn't necessarily like learned about the Old Testament or like the significance <laughs> of all the stuff that happened. And seeing everything that led up to Jesus. To Jesus. Jesus.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> seeing everything that led up oh, to no. Jesus and just like the story of God throughout the whole running of the Bible is just the coolest thing. And so I would encourage anybody out there who hasn't, it's, it's amazing. It's really eye-opening and cool. But I kind of want to give the last word over to J.D. to talk about what we have coming up next with Crosstalk.
0: Absolutely. So this past week, we uh, got into the context for these verses. But now that we have the context, we're going to dig into each one of these uh, character traits, these attributes of God. So the first of those is compassionate. Oftentimes, in our English translations, it reads, that the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful... But mercy isn't exactly the right translation for the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is compassionate. And this is in really important that we translate this word as compassionate, and here's why. Every form of this word, so noun, adjective, verb are related to the Hebrew word for womb. And so this image in context draws out the nurturing nature Mm. of God. Um, A biblical scholar writes that God is actually depicted as a nursing mother. The image is really powerful. A mother who holds her nursing baby eight inches from her face and looks into those big baby eyes and sustains them with her own life. This is what God says he is like, only better. And so we'll look at what does it mean that God is compassionate? How does God view us when we fail or suffer? And how does this change how we view the people around us? So I'm really excited for us to to dive into that. It's a very unique biblical image, and we will see you guys on Thursday night.